surpassed when treading in perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand living kappas having it to see and listen to to remember and accept i vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words good morning this morning i'm going to talk about a section of the text we've been studying as part of aspects the uh, Dogen's Guidelines for Studying the Way, or Gakadu Yojin Shu. And the section I'm going to be talking about is number three. <laughs> it's entitled, In the Buddha Way, You Should Always Enter Enlightenment Through Practice. So that seems kind of self-evident. Uh, it's always a little tricky reading Dogen because sometimes he verges on self-evident and then um, it turns out to be more complicated or perhaps more simple. So his words um, suggest perhaps a, a, a causal relationship between practice and enlightenment, but that's not really what he's really getting at, of course. And um, the limitations of our language uh, often lead us astray into thinking that things are related in such a way. Um, so this is this is one of one of Dogen's uh, attempts to talk about the nature of these two indivisible aspects of our awakened body mind, enlightenment and practice, and. Um, the more I read of this and the more I studied, uh, I came to feel like uh, this particular section and uh, probably many of the other sections of this text are kind of comments on Dogen's instructions for Zazen. So I'm going to re refer to the uh, Fukan Zazengi uh, as part of this talk. So in, in a large sense, um, I find that Dogen's words are kind of trying to talk about effort and all-inclusiveness and to kind of disabuse us of any limitation, idea of limitation about practice, realization regarding who and how, who and how the practitioners are and any idea that there's no effort involved. So, uh, one of the things I wanted to do is to slow down a little bit because uh, it's easy to kind of race through and miss some of the nuances. So I'm going to try and do that. Now, uh, I'm going to read a couple of things which I thought were relevant to this. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a member of a Dharma group here at Berkeley Zen Center uh, that is included, that includes. Um, people with uh, health conditions, chronic health conditions. And we've been studying a, a brief, brief talk by Sojin. We're not entirely sure what the provenance of this talk is or who edited it, but it seems like it's a talk by Sojin. And um, then there's a, there's a subsequent editing 
by him as well. It's called Why and How, and distinguishes the question of why from the question of how. And, and uh, uh, Sojin makes the point that how is really the more relevant uh, question for Zen students. So in the middle of this, he talks about, it starts, that starts off, it starts off talking about how to prepare for sashim. And Sojin says, just show up. <laughs> but anyway, he says, it's seven days of letting go, of dropping, of no clinging, no discriminating, not chasing away evil thoughts, not coveting good thoughts, no holding on to wonderful states of mind, not rejecting painful states of mind, just being fully present. That's all. Maybe the most difficult thing we can do. So I think uh, what Dogen is trying to do is to, in this, um, in this section is to point us to, or to, to lay that most difficult thing to do squarely in our laps and not give us an idea that we can kind of slide by by thinking about it or not addressing it, addressing it directly. But at the same time, uh, not falling into doing something. So the focus is on sincere effort in practice, which calls forth awakening. That's what Dogen's saying. Practice calls forth awakening, but does not cause it since awakening is inherent in practice, is not separate, nor is it identical with awakening. So the question is, how is this non-dual awareness manifest in everyday practice? Dogen starts off this section saying, a worldly teacher says, through study one can gain wealth. Buddha says, within practice there is enlightenment. So he's using this, uh, this analogy of you know, worldly, so-called worldly activities is one way in which there's uh, an example of how if you focus, if you study, um, they'll produce a beneficial result. Uh, but it's not as though, so it's not, he's trying to point to the fact that, that um, accomplishment or uh, gain of some sort in our worldly activities is enhanced by um, by thorough application, thorough uh, and sincere effort over time. And Buddha's trying to say, enlightenment from within, from within practice, enlightenment arises. Sincere practice. It, can, it cannot cause enlightenment, but somehow wholehearted devotion to that activity is, um, you find awakening. So I'm going to read a little, little piece by Fukan Zazengi. This is a paragraph where Dogen talks about Zazen. And he gives lots of uh, specific instructions about how to sit and how to prepare the space. And then he talks a little bit 
more about his attitude. Uh, now, the Fukan Zengi I'm reading from here is the one published in Dogen's extensive record. The, there's a Zazengi, a shorter version, which I think was uh, composed later. That's um, in this book, Moon, Moon and Dewdrop. Here we are. The Zazen I speak of is not meditation practice. It is simply the Dharma gate of joyful ease, the practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment. It is, it is the koan realized. Traps and snares can never reach it. I think of traps and snares as kind of our thinking mind, thinking we can trick something. You know, we, we can trick our mind to believe something. If you grasp the point, you are like a dragon when he gains the water, like a tiger when she enters the mountain. For you must know that the true Dharma appears of itself, that from the start, dullness and from the start, dullness and distraction are struck aside. I really like this uh, uh, metaphor of the dragon, the tiger, something about beings uh, of great presence and energy entering fully into a powerfully wild world in complete harmony. It evokes uh, arousing bodhicitta, the thought of enlightenment, or recollecting the re recollecting Buddha. The tiger so completely enters the mountain that you can't see her, even though she's there. Within this section three of the guidelines for practicing the way, you should always enter enlightenment through practice. Dogen also says, though practice varies initiated by faith or Dharma knowledge, in other words, He's not saying where, where what, what, is your, what is the right, the correct practice. He's saying it could be initiated by faith or dharma, faith or study, um, with an emphasis on sudden or gradual enlightenment. There's a um, indication of his inclusiveness. It's not like he has to be sudden or gradual. You always depend on practice to go beyond enlightenment. I think going on beyond, beyond enlightenment is, is kind of speaks to the, the nature of awakening itself in that uh, <coughs> awakening is going beyond. And um, if it's not going beyond, it may be either you're resting on your laurels or something. So it's, uh, that's an important phrase there. It goes on. The study can be superficial or profound, and students can be sharp or dull. Accumulated studying, that is, in my words, paying attention to what you're actually doing, earns wealth. He says, you should know that arousing practice in the midst of delusion, you attain realization before you recognize it. Again, he's pointing to something we don't normally think about because we know we're, we're too deluded to, re to realize that we're awakened. So he's kind of like holding a great basket of awakening here that's associated with all sorts of effort and all qualities of 
attention, and so on and so forth. So depending on practice to go beyond enlightenment in the midst of delusion is, uh, is the direction in which we're going. The character and intent of practice, character and intent of practice is not to gain something but for its own, but for its own sake. Practice is for its own sake. So in the next section, number four, where he talks about avoiding uh, practice for the sake of gain. Um, I'm going to read something here. It says, clearly, Buddha Dharma is not practiced for one's own sake, and even less for the sake of fame and profit. Just for the sake of Buddha Dharma, you should practice it. And a couple of lines later, he says, all Buddhas, compassion and sympathy, sentient beings are neither for their own sake nor for others. It is just the nature of Buddha Dharma. I think this is a great, great line. You know, uh, there's no uh, purpose or Intention, this is a strong statement, so take it, take it with a grain of salt. But there's no purpose and intention uh, inherent in Buddhist compassion and sympathy for sentient beings. That's just the nature of Buddha Dharma. It's just the way it is. So, how to practice without falling into the pitfalls of doing an accomplishment and it's all oneism or withdrawal. How to be fully engaged without fixating on the outcome, without falling into an overfocus on an imagined result or withdrawing into a mind fog of delusive thought. Or perhaps worse, over focusing on delusive thought. <laughs> so it's Dogen is, is, is creating this problem for us about how we function with practice and enlightenment without grasping onto it, without trying to turn it into something real without thinking that our effort is done. So in the Fukan Zazengi, um, Dogen explains pretty well uh, what he means in concrete terms. He's kind of providing a template or metaphor for practice. It refers specifically to Zazen, but his words also uh, give us a clue about what sort of attitude to take. I'm going to read something from Dogen's extensive record. I can reach across my extensive desk.
he says, this goes to also all inclusiveness as well as um, he says, for practicing Zen, a quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately, put aside all involvements and suspend all affairs. That means your to-do list. That means what you're gonna have for lunch. That means uh, the calls you're gonna to make to family members. So find a way to arrange your time and space so that you can do nothing. <laughs> um, do not think in terms of good or bad. That's not easy to do. Do not judge true or false. There's another rabbit hole you can go down. Give up the operations of mind, intellect, and consciousness. Stop measuring with thoughts, ideas, and views. This is where it gets really challenging. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. This is pretty much stopping everything for a moment, and then going beyond. Anyway, he says, how could that be limited to sitting or lying down? So he's pointing to that aspect of our understanding of practice, which is that it extends everywhere. And there is no circumstance or time when uh, practice is not applicable. Practice and awakening is applicable at each moment. Um, I was thinking a little bit about I've, uh, due to my, my condition, I've been having a lot of trouble with walking and uh, been practicing a lot of different ways, approaches to actually getting myself across the room or around the block or whatever. And um, getting a lot of excellent coaching from my wife. And who's an Alexander Technique teacher. And she gave me this little book the other day. I'm going to show it to you. You probably can't. Is it backwards? It's probably backwards. Anyway, it's called How to Walk by Thich Nhat Hanh. And if you know anything about Thich Nhat Hanh, you know that he does like to walk. But I, this little book has about uh, 100 short paragraphs of um, that are, uh, looks to me like they're extracted from various sources of his writings. Uh, but this is one I wanted to share with you. It's called Sleepwalking. We're in such a rush, looking for happiness in one place and then another. We walk like sleepwalkers. We walk like sleepwalkers without any enjoyment of what we're actually doing. We are walking but in our minds, we are already doing something else. Planning, organizing, worrying. There's no need, there's no more need to run. 
Every time we return our attention to our breath and our steps, it's as if we wake up. Every step brings us back to the here and now. We can touch the earth and see the sky and notice all the wonders in between. In each step, there is the possibility of mindfulness, concentration, and insight. I was thinking of just opening this at random, reading to you, but I, I ran across this one and I thought that would be good. So walking can be, you know, a lazy, impatient, an excited walk, a tired walk, a depressed walk, or an exuberant walk, a balanced and energized walk. So I try to spend some time each day walking just for the sake of walking, because not only do I find out something about practice, I also learn, I also create space where um, I'm actually able to access uh, walking for its own sake, access components of walking that, um, that show me how to uh, uh, proceed sort of in an unbalanced un, un, and upright way, very naturally, uh, as best I can anyway. So the message here that took that on is saying, well, I don't know what he's saying, but he, uh, he says, when you're walking and you start doing other things, just stop and do the other things, like talk to your friend or have a snack or something and then walk. But in any case, we're often walking uh, with some, uh, to accomplish some task of going to the grocery store or going to a car or whatever. Um, and I think it's, it's important to realize that, uh, that that affects our balance and coordination, our intention, how we're holding our intention. So it's not that having an intention for a desired outcome is wrong, but, it's, but it requires awareness as to how that thought may be affecting our body-mind. Choice leads to action, action leads to inclination of the body. And in many cases, in my case, <laughs> I start going like this. And it's true, obviously, in sitting as well. If you're thinking about going, if you're thinking how much you're enjoying being sleepy, you're probably enjoying it like that, or maybe not. But anyway, uh, everything you think has a has a has a follow-on consequence. So awakening to awareness of breath and posture practice, you fully enter where and what you are at this moment. It is a manifestation. It is, this is a manifestation of enlightenment. Practice in a moment of practice slash enlightenment, just noticing a shift away and return to and return to presence. So I'm gonna give another example, which is more subtle. It has to do with when you notice 
the noticing of intention. Sometimes we talk about always returning to practice, always returning to presence or, um, or uh, practice. Um, and uh, sometimes I, I feel like that way of putting it uh, assumes that there's some place to return to when in fact you're just going beyond. So that with this understanding, consider um, how it is when you notice something that uh, you're drifting away from, you're just noticing that you're drifting away from your intention or you're just drifting away from awareness of your intention, no matter how you're holding that intention. There's some quality of uh, um, getting foggy about it. And you notice that. That is a moment of awakening. And then you practice holding that intention. You find yourself practicing holding that intention and going beyond that moment of awakening. And so on. So, as Sojin said, this is perhaps the most difficult thing to do. Um, and Sashin is designed to kind of uh, make it possible to engage with the most difficult thing to do. But what is the nature of difficulty? Difficulty is often encountered when we're, we're wanting something, we're wanting to accomplish some desired outcome, or we want ease, or we want, uh, or we have some pain. Um, so what kind of, what kind of this difficulty calls forth some effort? And what is the nature of that? Difficulty is when we're wanting to keep our attention focused on something for some purpose. Uh, and um, we find it, we find we are diverted by something else. So then it becomes the thing we wanted to do becomes difficult. So what is, how do we deal with that? With some effort. And what kind of effort? Let's try right effort. Is is, is traditionally considered to be. It's sort of fourfold. It's sort of like, as it's explained in the Eightfold Path, uh, right effort is one uh, discouraging the discourage the horizon of latent evil. In other words. Your, ten, your own sort of inbred tendencies to, for, to fixate on goals. That's an example of that. Something that, you know, a habit of yours that you're aware of or only become aware of when it's happening. <laughs> um, uh, number two is abandon existing unwholesome states. You're, uh, Perhaps you're over-focused on some imagined outcome. Um, 
you're already in the thrall of, of your desire to get something done. Turn away from it. Or, or pay attention to it carefully. Change the situation. How you're existing in your body and mind. Number three is encourage potential good attitudes. Recollecting the Buddha, which is a traditional meditation, um, is a good way to good way to encourage a potential good state of mind and preserve wholesome states of mind. Perhaps by making the effort of appreciative gratitude for one's own well-being. So practicing with, um, I have a phrase written in here, which I think is displaced. It says, it's not what you do, but how you do it. Stop. Um, this is something I have to do a lot. It's, it's stop. And I can't get out of my, one of my primary, um, techniques for uh, loosening myself from the grip of my delusions and coming back, finding a way to come back to balanced body and mind. In walking, there's a moment when things are going well uh, that both feet, there's a very, very, very small moment when both feet are off the ground. I don't know whether that's true or whether it's just a great way to think about walking. But um, you're finding balance between the two factors of support on the ground and flexibility. And again, another way to kind of interrupt the flow of fixated thinking is walking backwards. There's a uh, thought, a memory I'd like to share. Um, I think I was at Tassahara in 1983. Uh, and uh, the abbot, Richard Baker Roshi, uh, was um, away uh, at a, uh, I believe, uh, I, I, all the details around this, I'm a little fuzzy about but the main point I'm clear about. <laughs> so uh, he was away at, in a, on a trip uh, to New York, uh, part, of which, part of which, part of the purpose of the trip was to participate in uh, a very large demonstration. And I can't remember what the occasion was. Perhaps some of you were there, who knows? But, um, a number of students came from Zen Center and joined him. And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh was also there. And uh, um, there was a very, there's a large number of people. And it was, uh, I, I had in my mind's eye, I had you know, sort of long streets, blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks, it was just solid people walking. 
and uh, somebody noticed that at some point there got to be a gap, a huge gap between one or two blocks or something like that, between one group and another group. And in the front of the second group, Tichnan Han was walking. And so everybody else around him was walking with him. And um, he was just very clear about how he wanted to walk. And it produced a slightly different pace, but everybody seemed to be enjoying it. Anyway, I treasure that. I treasure that thought. It's like uh, mindfulness is really powerful. Let's see. So I think I'm going to stop at this point and make me uh, your comments or questions. You have a little bit of discussion, perhaps. Um, as you all know, just uh, please raise your hand and um, I'll call on you. Hozan Sensei. Thank you for the talk, Peter. It's a wonderful talk. I've been thinking about this fundamental question uh, that uh, Sojin really clarified for us over and over again, the question, how? Uh, what I'm curious about is when do you need to also, or alternately, investigate why? Is there a time for that? Uh, or, and when is that time? That's a good question. My, my immediate response, which uh, perhaps is not the result of deep reflection, is that there's something around the periphery of how Something about clarifying your intention that's useful. So clarifying. But, uh, go ahead. So just clarifying your intention. Uh, the intention is how will I do something? Uh, but the clarification also includes why to some extent. I think it does include why to some extent. But I think it's, uh, I think we. My intuition says we give too much attention to why. And perhaps it's not the best use of our time at a certain point. Thank you. Um, Team Hako, somebody in the room has a question. I have one question. So your talk, I really felt like really wonderfully dove into the nitty gritty of our experience on the cushion and our, you know, our experience of our attention. So my question was, in your practice, do you, do you, do you have any, um, do you perceive the application of a technique in Zazen or not? Um, technique. Um, I think it's one of those, uh, parts of Zazen where it's useful, but then you have to abandon it. Yeah, yeah. There's something, there's some, there's some piece of it. It's like reading the Fukan Zazengi. It starts off talking about something which could be read as application of a technique. 
But then he tells you to go further. That's really great. Thank you so much. That was a really beautiful talk. Thank you. Is there another question from Heiko, you guys? No? See or no? Um, Heiko, go ahead. The uh, uh, question of Hoson and, and the question of, of why, my uh, instinct was to question that why leads down the hole of, of uh, gaining mind. Uh, would you say that there's something to that or how would you think of that? Something to what? Excuse me. I'm sorry. It leads us toward the toward gaining mind or the tendency to with why is because, and then with because is I want, and then after I want is so on. You know the rabbit hole of of gaining mind. So how versus why uh, is why so not? So when you encounter gaining mind, is that the question? Is that the Doesn't it drive you to the question of gaining mind? Yes. The question of why. Oh, oh, when you're when you're uh, dealing with gaining mind, question of why. Um, It's sometimes when you're right up against it, it seems like why is trying to get out of it. Trying to get out of the problem. Um, when you're when you're not stuck on something, you're not you're not so directly involved in how how am I going to deal with this? And so, why can uh, be involved in in matters of Matters of understanding the context, but um, that and that may be of limited use. There may be of some use, but it's not the same as how. How am I actually going to deal with this? I don't know if that clarifies anything or not. It makes it clear that it's a very difficult question, and your insights are helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Peter, thank you. Hi. Hi. Deep place you've taken us. So I loved um, what you said. The tiger so completely enters the mountain that you can't see her even though she's there. I'd like more about that. I'm wondering, is that related to the way Thich Nhat Hanh was walking in his section of the demonstration? Uh, very interesting. You could say that because I imagine the, the, uh, the scene is such that you could not really see who was leading the session of the march. Um, you know, if you knew anything, you probably noticed the guy in the brown robe or something like that. But, uh, I imagine that, um, that everybody was entering the mountain together. But the tiger, 
Yeah, the tiger. The tiger so enters the mountain that, you know, he, she is indistinguishable from the rest of the, uh, the rest of the tigers or the, uh, or whatever, whatever they are. And from the point of view of the tiger, um, it's just joy. Is there anything else that comes up for you? Well, there's the rocks and the trees and yes. everything around her. I love the joy. Well, it's all of that too. The joy from its inclusion of everything without limitation. Thank you. Susan Marvin. Hi, Peter. Hi. Thank you so much for this wonderful talk. I love this question of how versus why. So I was wondering what you think about this. Like, why seems to take us right into the thinking mind? Yeah. And um, how maybe more connected to... Um, a response in the moment and you know this this connection of hearing and thinking and practicing all in one mm -hmm. and forgetting the self you know this pause where we notice the stillness and then the response which doesn't come from you know, may not come from like the Susan mind, but come from, you know, awakening in that moment, the way that you described it earlier. And my question is, you know, when you were talking about having difficulty with walking, might you say something about that difference between, you know, why is this happening and how you respond in the moment? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to respond first to what you said earlier um, in that uh, we think the thinking mind is a kind of separate world. But I think that I think how includes the thinking mind. We get so excited about our thinking mind. There's so much value placed on it that, you know, we kind of think of it as kind of separate entity and getting all sorts of trouble, paying too much attention to it, all that kind of thing. And, um, but I think it's important to remember that in awakening, thinking mind is there. Uh, it's just finding its proper place. And uh, with regard to walking, yeah, that's a really interesting. I can say, I can sort of say, you know, uh, the why is, uh, you know, uh, maybe some habits of body mind. Uh, from the past, the deep past. Maybe it's just, um, you know, this uh, condition we observe and classify as Parkinson's or something like that. Um, but the how is really about, in some ways, the why doesn't really matter at this point. The, the how is, I've got this situation, um, I'm, I'm observing these things about my body and my 
movement and uh, and how am I going to meet those? What is the most, you know, I mean, I, there's, no, there's no real alternative to how at this point. And uh, so every once in a while, it's, it's, a, it's important to go to, the, go to the neurologist, you know, and sort of entertain why for a while. Uh, <laughs> um, or to learn something about it, you know, it gives you a fresh perspective. Uh, but in, in the moment, it's just how. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you, Peter. It sounds like in, in the first part of your response, what you were saying is that why is included in how? I mean, I kind of got yeah. that from what you were saying. I, I like that. Or it's not this, helpful. I don't know if it's picturing it as included in how is is really the right way, useful way to look at it, or it's just there to get yeah. functioning harmoniously. Thank you so much. Joan and Jeff. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, let me know if you can sure. hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Thank okay. One um, I wanted to say thank you. The, the question of why often plagues me um, and the the response to how is if the response to how is just show up which is a useful response then why also can be answered more easily or or so it feels as I listen to this because if I just show up, then why is I'm here? So then, then I don't have to wrestle so much with why and try to only figure it out without how. And if how, if I can show up in how um, by just showing up, then then why can play out in its depend in its entirety, whatever, whatever, whatever shows up with it. Um, when you were t uh, delineating the right effort, I was carefully annotating all of my stuff. It's all written down somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. It's also all, it's only partly written down here because I, I kind of got lost in number four. And I was wondering if you minded repeating number four because it felt like then I would have a complete list. <laughs> If, oh, sure. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> what, I have, what I have before me here is preserve wholesome states of mind. Oh. And the example is appreciative gratitude for one's own well-being. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Ron Nestor. Hi, Peter. Hi. Um, why do you show up at Zazen? Why? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't think of that as a really useful question. Why? Why not? Because I, I feel so certain of it. As uh, it's the, the the idea of showing up for zazen is so connected with how I'm dealing with myself. It's so connected with how that I don't want to emphasize why 
because it's not a question about whether I'm going to go do it. It's not a question about uh, uh, my intention or my love of zazen. It's uh, it's how am I going to get myself onto that seat? Yeah, I un I understand that how is the most important thing, but still, it seems to me there's got to be some idea or someplace. Some idea of what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My voice is a little hoarse. I understand. Um, um, I realize and I agree that how is the most important by far, but it seems like why has to be there at, on some on some level. So that's it's what I'm getting at, even though I know that the how is more important. Well, why um, goes to some awareness of my an appreciation for my intention or um, it's a uh, I can check in with why uh, to understand uh, the source of my motivation. But if I understand the source of my motivation, that still leaves me with how. I understand that. But I'm just thinking, it's, to me, it's important to acknowledge both sides of it. That's all. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it is important. Um, once I asked Sojin in the Zendo, and he's talking about gaining mind, well, why do we even come into the door to the Zendo? Why do we drive over to the Zendo to come yeah, inside sure. the Zendo? He said, well, you know, we, 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 uh, I'm talking, he said, I'm talking about when we're actually sitting, about no gaining mind. So that was a pretty good answer. He so said, actually, you see, I'm talking about what? Actually, no, not actually. He said, I'm just talking about once we're doing zazen. Oh, why I see. It's not important. But of course, there's some kind of why, why we would be bothered to have the intention even to do that that day and come up, make that decision. Uh huh. But um, I appreciate that. There's some, there's something that it, there's a partnership between why and how. Yes, yeah, and that's what I'm getting. Which one, which one deserves or needs most attention? Yeah, Sojin's point was that, and, and actually that talk that he gave was mostly focused on Sashim and sitting. Yeah, right. So that's, that was his frame of reference mostly. I'm taking those words, as you say them, as metaphor. That they, uh, they extend everywhere. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Kabir Nabi. Hi, Peter. Thank you. For Hi. Hi. So many, many years ago, when I first started Dharma, and there were some really difficult times, and I asked one of my teachers, I said, why? He said, why not? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Really, yeah. somebody somebody brought that up to me just the other day. Yeah, and, uh, and that that I was, was a some of the some. I think, of, I, think, I think the context was 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 why me and then why not right. me? Exactly, that was yeah. 
and, 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 and it was sort of a satisfactory question. It just sort of like put that part of me on hold. Like, why not? And, and he explained, he goes, well, you know, we live in samsara. Yeah. You know? So anyways, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's very interesting. Thank you. Looks like we have time for one more question or something like that. Hi, Peter. Hi. Thank you for your talk. Um, something that came up for me in this context is the sort of ongoing dance in the Sangha of um, how will we open the Zendo to the public and why haven't we done it in X, Y, or Z way? And I was wondering what you thought of the question of how and why in the context of Sangha and authority? Oh, yes. Big questions. Well, the, the dance between why and how becomes um, more, uh, needs, needs considerable attention in that context. Um, there's always a, a question of how, you know, a, a certain kind of how is proposed and uh, and then that reverberates as meaning in different ways, depending on the, the people involved. And so I think there's this, um, this, there's this need to be sort of spacious and flexible around those questions at this time, because there's so much uncertainty and um, so many needs are met by showing up in the Zendo that, uh, it's hard to sort of say, oh, well, maybe we should wait or, you know, or this doesn't quite feel right or, uh, or um, you know, that's the way somebody else did it. Or, you know, so all those things are constantly bubbling up and they all need a set attention. And sometimes they're a little more on the why side and sometimes they're more on the how, on the how side uh, as we just use that metaphor. Uh, but, uh, I guess the perfection of patience is called upon. I would say, yeah, in this case, for sure. Thank you. <laughs>